I feel like we are getting into a second wave of changing in terms of technology. In 2000, we were digitalizing. Now we are tokenizing things with blockchain, Web3, you know, NFTs, things like that. This is SaaS Scaled, the podcast where data meets action with host Armand Shraki. Each week, Armand will be sitting down with CEOs and industry leaders from the technology sector giving you the insight to innovate without reinventing the wheel. They'll discuss challenges, best practices, and how to identify the right metrics. So if you want to get to market faster and in a way that matters, then subscribe and join us every week as we discuss SaaS scale. This episode is brought to you by Curve, the modern no-code analytics solution for SaaS companies on AWS. The tools you need to take action with your data on a platform built for maximum scalability, security, and cost efficiencies. If you're ready to reduce complexity and dramatically lower costs, then contact us today at Curvey.com. That's Q-R-V-E-Y.com. Hello, welcome to another episode of SaaS Scaled, and I'm pleased to have Mariano with me and at a company that the name is Makes Sense. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure, absolutely. First of all, Armand, thank you for having me. I'm very happy to be here. I was very exciting preparing for the episode. So thank you so much for the invitation. Well, my name is Mariano. I'm 33 years old, born and raised in Argentina and moved to the U.S. 2019. I have a daughter, two winter dogs that I brought with me from Argentina along with my wife, for sure. And I've been working in the IT industry for a little bit over 10 years now. For a long time, you have been product and project manager at this company. And probably, you know, you have seen a great growth of the company. You have worked with many of these customers, large and small. Can you tell us a little bit about the company? What do you guys do and what are the reasons that companies come to you and ask for help? You're totally right. Uh, it's been a little bit over 10 years now that I've been working with Making Sense. Uh, I think it's a fantastic company. You know, along that way, I've, I've gotten many other opportunities, but I always decided to stay with them because of their, their values and their value proposition. I think it's, it's very compelling. So we are a technology company. We do software development, custom software development uh, mainly. And the easiest way that I can put it on you know a 10,000 feet view is if you draw three circles and you put business success, user experience and design and code, the intersection of those three circles will be making sense, right? So we basically help companies to either modernize their existing technology or create products from the scratch, right? Those are the main verticals that we help companies with. Right now, we are focusing a lot on late, late stage startups and mid-market companies. But, you know, over the almost 20 years that the company has been operating, we've been through startups, mid-market, upper mid-market, Fortune 500s, a little bit of everything, but always with the same approach, right? Which is code with design and user experience on top of it. When you look at many of these projects, as you said, large and small, different customers, um, and you have seen different patterns, and some of those go very well the product development and the project, they bring some concepts. Sometimes they bring a product, they want to go make it better. 
And then you have seen some probably patterns that some of them really go very well, some of them not as good as the others. Is there any particular thing that you may want to point out, a particular pattern you have observed that really this is the deciding factor when you talk to a new customer today and then you ask some questions, you just get a feeling that most likely this is going to be great because of these reasons. What are those reasons in your mind when you analyze the situation? Mm -hmm. Definitely been in front of many different situations, many different types of products, many different size of companies, many different personalities, I will say also. There are, there are many patterns, but I think the place where we can add the most value is, I mean, we can add value, you know, on many different situations. There are companies that know exactly what they need. They know why we will be a good fit for them. And that's a very straightforward, you know, path to the partnership. They usually last for many, many years. We are always trying to get, you know, long-term partnerships and not, you know, transactional contracts with, with companies here. And then there are some others that they think they know what they need, but they actually don't, right? And that's the good portion of it. I wouldn't say the vast majority, but there is some of them that they think they know what they have to do in order to drive success. The reality is that you know there, there are some missing pieces. For the most part, they are aligned, but there are some missing pieces there. And because of the way and the, and the processes that we have been established, we have a holistic philosophy, so pretty much we can work with any industry. We've been, again, in front of many different industries, and we can identify patterns and work with those partners in order to drive success for businesses. If you ask me, the main pattern that drives failure is when company leaders think that they know what the user want, but they actually don't. And instead of telling themselves, okay, I know that I need to do this in order for the users to be happy, they should be trying to understand their users before actually making decisions. And that's where we can help. Is it possible to know what users want? Because in some cases, it's easy. You are talking to these particular users. In some other cases, maybe you are selling to someone that they sell to other users or some other company. So it's not super easy to even carve out that type of users, right? Or sometimes there are so many variety of users that you go to that organization and you wanted to put, in our case, for example, we are talking about data and we are talking about letting people understand their data, but you go to many different organizations, there are so many different types of users. And still, you need to understand, but it's not just about one simple, you know, type of, you know, it's, very, it's not a simple problem, right? So you have to really understand variety of usages and variety of users in variety of type of organizations that take longer. So if, you know, you have only, you know, a limited amount of time and experience in that field, it may not happen. But if you have, of course, you know, been there for many, many years and you have worked with hundreds of customers and thousands of users, gradually you have a good grasp. But my point is, is it really simple and even sometimes doable? to do that, or you have seen rightfully sometimes companies don't know their users kind of, you know, requirements because it just the nature of the work, it takes time for them to really understand everything. Yeah, no, Arman, I think that's a very good point. And you've 
you can find both ends, the ones that are, know everything about them. They have very well documented who are their you know, market fit and their customer segment. But some more they don't. And they just, you know, been doing things for the last 30 years the same way. And they think that, that that's why it's been driven success. No, I will say the vast majority, they they probably have, you know, room for more like opportunity to improve that understanding. Uh, and again, that's that's the main thing that we do when we get into companies, right? We try to make sure that we understand, okay, what's, what's the market fit for this product and who are going to be the users for this product, right? And then we, we try to understand as much as we can. For sure, it's an infinite game, right? It's something that you're going to be learning constantly because, you know, people are going to, you're going to have new people and then you're going to have people that has been using their product for 10 years, right? And probably the needs are different. And it's a constant evolving situation when you, you know, are constantly learning, constantly gathering data and constantly making decisions towards the success of your business. So you have many, many moving pieces because, you know, the macroeconomics change, the, your business success definition change, your product probably will change, your, your market feed probably will change because of competitors, things like that. Uh, you'll have new people onboarding your product. So there are a lot of moving pieces and I think it's very, very important to stay on top of it as much as you can. And, you know, and a very, very good example about this, which I think is one of the companies that executes, executes this, you know, flawlessly, probably along with Apple, is Disney. So Disney, let's talk about a portion of Disney. Let's talk about the theme parks. Have you, have you ever been, Armand, to Disney World or Disneyland? Yes, Disney World. Yeah. Okay, Disney World. That, that's my favorite in Orlando. So when you get in there, for me, Disney, with the theme parks, they are not in the business of selling tickets for attractions. They are in the business of selling happiness to people and selling experiences to people. When you get into a theme park, you're not in a theme park. You're in an, you, you just purchase yourself an experience for the day, right? And it all depends on which theme park is going to be your experience, right? And all of that, you get into a Disney theme park, the music, the smells, how people are dressed, where, people, where things are seated on, on the landscape. When you look around, nothing, nothing is a casualty. Everything is in there for a reason. And that's the, the product of understanding, you know, and, and defining what, you know, their, their users or their customer segment actually needs or will enjoy, right? Because, you know, that's the extra value. You probably go in there and you expect, yeah, I'm going to have probably a hot dog. I'm going to ride some, some roller coasters and I'm going to have fun. But then you go in there and you don't want to leave because it's amazing and it's fantastic. And they have little things such as, so I'm not sure, Harman, if you, if, you, if you know that they send employees to make the lines with the guests of the parks so they can, you know, listen to what they said in terms of, yeah, I just, I just ride this roller coaster and it was amazing and I like this and I hated that and I would like this to happen and, and things like that. So they, it's like constantly gathering data. So for me, Disney theme park is also, you know, kind of a technology company because it's constantly gathering data. You get into the park, you get your application. Boom, you start, you know, serving them data in terms of where you are, where do you spend the most time, what are the tickets that you, you, you booked and you reserve up front. Everything is data and they are constantly collecting that and they are very on top of, you know, the group of people that are going to be visiting them. And for sure, there's going to be people in the audience that are going to be, hey, Mariano, you know, Disney is boring. It's for kids. You know, roller courses are not that fast. I will go with, you know, Bush Gardens or Six Flags, and that's totally fine. It's a different, you know, market fit for for those people. But 
let me tell you, if, if, if you are into that customer segment, you will never leave them because I've been there twice and I cannot wait to go again. And I know what's going to happen. And probably there are going to be new things, but I can't wait to go down there. And that type of value that that company delivers to me, it's invaluable and makes me choose them on top of any other theme park in the U.S. So, you know, going back to, you know, more or the scale that we're talking here on this podcast, uh, I think that's, you know, on a different level is what all the companies should be doing. You know, there is this, uh, this say that if Henry Ford will ask their clients what they wanted, they will have said faster horses, but, you know, that will be the wrong question. The right question will be, you know, what are you trying to get done? Why do you use horses? What are your pains while you're, you know, using horses? And the, question, the answers will be things like, I want to, you know, move faster. I want to, you know, stay dry and be able to commute when it's raining. I want to be able to commute with my whole family. And, you know, clearly the answer for those pains is, are not faster horses. So, yeah, that's, that's a key point, And that's what we're trying to bring to the table, especially at front. Once the company, you know, gets into it, it becomes like, a, like a, one of their processes. And, and they see the value and they see how easier for, for them is to make decisions based on that and based on understanding. And they can see the results when they measure right after they're, they're deploying new features or new products to the market. But I think that that's, uh, this whole UX focus is one of the big differentiators that making sense can bring to the table that not many other you know, technology companies can. Sure. And now imagine that you, know, you are working with this company and they have figured out what market wants and they know their users and customers. Okay. So they, they have a good understanding of that. They have created a good solution. They have asked customer about the problem, not necessarily about the solution, the way you explained it. Customers said, this is the problem. They came up with a brilliant solution. There's the product market fit and they did it. Now they have something, a product that fits the market. Does it guarantee the success? or still they may not be successful? No, in my personal opinion, I think it, it, it doesn't guarantee success. And the main reason why it's because that's the foundation, but along the road, there's gonna be many decisions that needs to be made that are gonna be affecting not just different, different departments within a company, but also the, the users, right? Good example of that is Netflix, right? With all the sharing account things and all the, the things that are going on, all the losers that the users that they've been losing uh, on the last couple months. That is a very important thing. And in order to succeed, for in my opinion, all what you just described is the foundation. But then there needs to be some sort of alignment between all the leaders of the company in terms of okay, what's the definition of success for a company? What does success mean for us? Because you know, for sure. Revenue is very important and profit is very important, but that is a result of all the work that we do. It shouldn't be a goal, right? Because goals should be driven for something that it's, 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 not, it's not just money, right? So that it's very important for us, especially when we get in companies, to get some days with the C-level, understand you know, who they are, where do they come from, what does success mean for them, and then we make sure that, that all, all the C-level and all the decision makers in the company are aligned in terms of 
this is the definition of success, not for you as a CFO, not for you as a CTO, not for you as a CEO. This is the definition of success for the product, for the company, right? And this is going to be what we're going to be looking at while making decisions to make decisions objectively, right? Based on what's the best for the company and know what's the best for maybe technology or finance, depending on, on, on the moment in time that we're making that decision. That helps a lot. That makes things way easier. You will be surprised about the conversations that we hear on those closed rooms where we are just trying to put everyone on the same page and then you throw a question and then two C-levels answer completely different things. It, it, it's very, very interesting what happens, but I think it's also what is, is key in order to, again, understand what's the definition of success for the business and what are the expectations that each of those decision makers have. And then with those two things, plus all the understanding of how we can start defining a roadmap and that it's going to be successful. It could take a little bit longer. It could be a little bit shorter, but it's going to be a continuous growth in terms of the success because of all of those things. And that, that's the part that we have been seeing so far. Changing gears a little bit, uh, you guys have a good number of developers in Latin America. The team is working there. I have experience with that as well myself, and I would like to maybe, you know, get into uh, some of the points there because I think for most part, many people may not have had that experience and not having a great, even honestly, not knowing enough about the talent pool that exists, for example, right on the same time zone that we are in the US. but Latin America and the huge number of universities and talent pool that exist and everything. We are, of course, in a particular, you know, time that is pandemic is driving that kind of remote working trend. We are at the time that software is gaining more momentum and, you know, automation, software, digital economy is gaining momentum in general. There is more demand for this kind of, you know, resources. All together, when you think about all of these, that the kind of borders are kind of in that way, in a way is less applicable. So less really matters if, for example, you know, where the developer is, less and less matters. You know, people want to put people together and all of the trends that you see in the market. Um, how do you see the future is going to play a role as we go in the next 10 years, the next decade or two, and then uh, the way it will work, is it, is, it, is it going to be democratized further? Is it going to be uh, different, for example, Latin America? Because 20 years ago, it was a different Latin America when it comes to technology. We have seen it changing, especially accelerating during the last 10 years. How do you see it's going to play a role 10 years from now and as we go mm -hmm. further? Yeah, no, that's that's a that's a good question, and, and you know that's something that is getting more and more common across you know U.S. companies. Let me let me break down your question in two. Uh, I'll go first with what what happened you know after COVID, and then you know how the next probably ten years will look like, and then I'll break down the the Latin America portion of of the question in terms of you know why Latin America, right? If you're not familiar with it, why, why should I be looking at Latin America? Something incredible happened after COVID and, you know, it's it's hard for me to express something positive related with COVID 
but this actually, I think it was because first of all, it accelerated many modernization processes and companies that were, yeah, at some point I can go digital or I can be a technical company. It was like, no, now is the time. If you want to stay in business, you need to have some sort of digital presence because that's how the new world operates. For sure, this this is 2020, right? Uh, things have you know settled down a little bit more right now, where we are you know back traveling and doing that that kind of things. But there are some major you know things that change, and I see COVID as a point of inflection in terms of many topics. First of all, is the amount of companies that now need to go digital somehow, right? And that means any type of companies. We work with access control companies for construction sites, co-reporting services, mental health prescription companies, dairy management, healthcare, public safety, you name it. Any company today, I think it could, it could go digital. It doesn't really matter what business you are, there is a way. And, and if you are wondering, if you're listening and you're wondering, hey, should I or can I become a technology-enabled company? The answer is definitely yes. And you can give me a call if you want, and we can talk about it. But what happened with COVID is now these big companies, especially you know the Apples, the Twitters, the Facebook, they have their all cool offices in Silicon Valley, right? Great offices, their culture, everybody works on site. We all see each other in these offices, and that's the way it works. COVID happened. Now you can get people together. That's a new reality. What do we do? We can't stop the business. We need to you know, allow people to work remotely. And I think for a, for a long period of time, that was a pain. But then eventually they were like, hey, this remote thing works. People get things done. Some people are even happier, right? They were able to move from their, I don't know, na- like probably 500 square foot apartment in San Francisco to a beautiful house, probably in Palo Alto, San Jose. Those So people are happier. Okay. So there is something here. And then now you get to the point where they are hiring nationwide. And that opens other opportunities and other problems for different companies, including ourselves. Because now you have the small startup in Austin that is doing, you know, cool things with blockchain and, you know, Web3 stuff and, you know, everybody wants to work there. But now they have an opportunity to work with, you know, probably one of the Fortune 10 companies in the world with higher salaries. And, you know, some people are, I'm going to be working for them. I'm not going to be working for the little startup. And then you have, on top of that, the 30, 40-year-old company that is trying to hire, you know, in order to modernize and to keep up with, you know, the changing environment. And probably many people will, no, I'm going to work with, you know, Web3 cool startup in Austin. I'm not going to work with this 35-year-old company, which there is nothing wrong with the company, but, you know, the professionals have more room to uh, request things right now and to make decisions. So that is happening, which forces U.S. companies to hire directly to Latin America, Right. So there are mainly two models. You can hire straight to Latin America, which you know has their own costs and risks, or you can work with a company that making sense, that makes that easier for you because we, we are born and raised in there. We know the culture, we know politics, we know everything, how things work, so we, that allow us to operate easily. By going to the Latin America portion, I think it's, it's a great option. As you mentioned, time zone is, is very easy. The furthest you can get from coast to coast is maximum four hours. Then you have three, two, and one. Uh, so being one, the the least tying up, and then four, the you know the most that you could get, and that really you know allows you to overlap on a on a workday without any issue, which is different you know from our companies, probably Eastern companies or or India that you know, are a little bit 
tougher to, to make that happen. Second portion of it is you will be surprised about how many people are fluent in English in Latin America. And you know, you may go down there if you if you can go and visit this beautiful, very, very beautiful many places, especially Argentina is is wonderful. You will be surprised about how many people will speak in English. And you know, they will be able to establish a conversation with you. The cultural affinity is also very important in my opinion, because believe it or not, in Latin America we consume and we know the US culture. Personally, myself, Arman, I can tell you, during the 90s, I remember myself with my family, remember myself eating a Happy Meal and watching Michael Jordan winning tournaments in the 90s. So that, at that level, you know, consuming the, the U.S. culture. So that's one of the main reasons why I moved, right? Because it was, it was super easy. But cultural affinity is a big portion of it. Then you, you touch another great point, which are the universities. I can't speak for the, for the majority of Latin America, but at least in Argentina, where I'm born and raised, Education is free. So you can go in there, you can get a bachelor's degree on computer science or, or engineering for free, which is, which is big. And you will be surprised about the level and the quality of the education. So my wife, she's a biologist. Of course, she moved with me here and we validated her title here in the US so she can you know, start working here. Uh, right now, she's leading a, a research group. The equivalence was almost close to a master here the bachelors that she has in Argentina. So that, that's a big thing. And again, people are, you know, very, very used to work with U.S. companies. Again, ourselves, we have been in business since 2006. So it gets, it gets very easy and it's very smooth to get that in Latin America. In a way, it's beautiful that world is getting kind of smaller <laughs> and people are getting closer. And, and that's really big. It can really have many positive impacts overall in long term, many positive impacts on everyone and in short term as well. But especially in long term, I think it makes really world just one unit rather than, you know, many, many separate units. And that's really the, the beauty of it. So, of course, when we are talking about really, I mean, the Latin America, the major countries over there probably are, I would say, correct me if I'm wrong, but I would say even from university standpoint and the majority of talents that you can find. Of course, there are many good, good universities in other countries like Costa Rica. I know that it has a lot of good universities and schools and everything. But from the talent pool perspective, the size of talents that the majority, the big ones are probably Mexico, Brazil, Argentina, maybe at some degree Colombia at the low at the, at the less extent as i said there are other countries but might be much a smaller scale but those countries really their scale is you know is is pretty good i mean you can really find a lot of good universities and talents and good technology companies that you can really go there and just work with them so how do you see 10 years from now you will find latin america compared to where it is today when we are talking about software? It's going to keep growing. If you ask me, we've been talking a lot about universities, but there is a, a truth right now, which is if you want to, you know, learn, you can be self-taught and you can, you know, open YouTube and you can buy courses online and you can actually learn how to do things. And then, you know, get a quick ramp up and then get an entry level job on a development company and then start working from there. And then you will, you will learn a lot. The 
in my opinion, the market is going to keep growing. The opportunities are going to keep expanding. I was reading some reports last week, and they estimate that in order to keep up with the demand of modernization after COVID and the offer that we have in terms of talent, you know, including, okay, we have this many people listed on this career that, you know, eventually in five years, they're going to be available for working on this. They estimate that it's going to take around 10 years to keep up with that and to even things out, which is a lot, right? Imagine, you know, 10 years of nonstop working in order to at least stay even, right? Uh, in terms of companies being digital or, or being, you know, in a 2023, 2024 technology base. So I think the, the future is very bright. I'm very optimistic in, in that term. Arman, I think it's going to keep growing. It's not going to stop. You now the digital era is here. It's going to stay. There's going to be different explorations in terms of technology, such as, you know, there is a trend back on the 2000s. We started digitalizing everything, right? In terms of all, all this, you know, big pile of paperwork that you have on the, on your on your office now it's on a database somewhere on one of these you know storage centers of that AWS provides as a software as a service now that we're on this podcast as you know many others do now i feel like you know it's very 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 early if if you if you look at the adoption we are super early super early but i feel like we are getting into a second wave of changing in terms of technology in 2000 we were digitalizing now we are tokenizing things with blockchain web3 you know nfts things like that which again i think we're trying to understand what's the fit but it's you know a multi billion dollar market that we're talking about in terms of you know what we call web3 again blockchain and and that type of thing so we have a lot to explore I feel like in a couple of years, that, that's going to boom. Um, we're going to need a lot of people to work on that. And that's going to be on top of all the debt that we have that I just described, those 10 years of debt that we have. So I think it's going to be plenty of opportunities. And, and again, we will need more people to work on this. So I think the future is very, very bright. And, and do you see any possibility that 10 years from now, really there's no difference really where people are and working in this kind of Web3? Because you mentioned Web3, of course, it's going to be democratized the monetization part of the web, right? So you're democratizing that part and then everyone can participate and develop that product and content and everything. And it's still, you know, easier and for more people, more opportunities to get advantage of that kind of income and, and, the, the pricing we have seen that is the delta is going to be less and less as we go further. I don't know when it will happen, but honestly, personally, I think the trend is at one point, it really, you don't know. I mean, you're just connecting with the team and everyone may join you. The only thing that may matter is just time zone in my view, because it matters if it's 2 a.m., probably you are sleeping at that time. You're not comfortable you know, something that is engraved in us for millions of years and we'd rather to just work in certain hours and sleep in some hours. Probably that's not going to change in the next decade or two. But other than that, I mean, the trend that we see compared to 20 years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago now, and I see in the future, it doesn't slow down, but accelerate. It's just, it's getting very unified. It's just getting the same. And then you have all of these team members working anywhere they are. And as you said, the young generation, 
in Latin America, they are very familiar with the culture over here and they are very much fluent in the language. And that just removes those barriers, right? So, so that's really the way. I'm not sure if it happens 10 years, maybe it's too optimistic, maybe it happens 20 years, but it will happen. It's just the way we are moving forward. It, it is happening. You, you, you touch a very good point. I, again, being in the industry for 10 years, I, again, it's every single time that I say 10 years, I realize how fast I'm getting older, but it was a completely different reality back then. You know, working remotely was, was a plus, was a benefit. Like, oh, I can work from my home? Really? True? I can't believe it. This is so cool. And now it's a given. It's like, yeah, of course I'm going to be working from home at least a couple of days a week. Nobody even wonders if that's a thing. So to your point, I think that's that's happening already. There is going to be so highly highly regulated industries and, you know, specific jobs that you will need people to be on site. Making sense personally believes that, you know, human contact and, you know, face-to-face -face relationships are very important. So people traveling, working on site and, you know, staying closer to our partners, that's very important. But the change is already happening. Uh, it's it's, it's going to keep scaling, but it's, it's already here. I mean, today, again, I, I guess that there, there is pretty much non-technology company that wouldn't offer you remote work. So I also see the same. It's going to increase. And as long as you are, you know, connected on the same, you know, time space and you can share and you can interact, that will be pretty much it. And, you know, nowadays I, I see other trends that companies are more worried about goals and in terms of, you know, what, okay, we, we work for two or three weeks, right? What this means for me. And what means for me, not in terms of, okay, how much or how many story points how we develop, but also what's going to be the impact on the business? What is the new feature that we can bring? What are the problems that we, that we solve for users? And that also helps people to work towards goals and not towards, you know, numbers, which are, you know, different depending on the team. So it's not like, it's not exact science, right? Like story points for the ones in the audience that don't know what it is. It's a way to measure progress um, in development teams which is not exact and it varies depending on the team. But I've seen that trend and that also helps people to feel more confident and more comfortable and take more ownership in terms of, okay, I need to develop this that is going to have this much impact on the business. I need to get it done. I need to get it done right. And I need to get it done on time. So, you know, maybe on the opposite way that some people will think like, no, because I'm not measuring him and I don't know how many story points he's burning. Now people are more motivated. They feel entitled. They feel empowered and they want to, you know, for the most part, and you know, especially younger generations, they want to create some sort of impact and feel part of the process and the company. Uh, and that's a great way to do it. Fantastic. I'm going to ask you to also share with us uh, one of or some of the books that, you know, you have read, you liked it, you thought it is definitely was a good investment of your time reading them and has had good impact on what you do. So... Well, let me think because I have many. I've been reading a lot lately. A good one, and again, I'm, this recommendation for, for the audience is based on the point in time in my life that I'm at right now, uh, where I need some guidance and some structure to you know build things and help the company scale to the, to the volume that we need to scale. There are two books that I will bring to the table. The first one is Principles by Ray Dalio. He is the CEO of Waterbridge, one of the Fortune 5 companies in the world. It, it's very recommendable. It gives you tools to structure and, you know, to create a decision-making framework that is going to make you feel like you're always making the right decision, right? Because you're making the decision based on your principles and, and you're, you're going to be good with yourself. 
And then there is another one that is very much needed for me too. It's called, this was one of my partners uh, recommended this to me. It's called Never Split the Difference. And it's an ex-FBA negotiator that he retired and he, he now he has a, a, his own company. But he explains basically the mechanics of negotiation that he used to, you know, of the FBI with, you know, like negotiating a hostage release, for instance, and how that applies to businesses. Uh, it is a great book. It, it gave me a lot of tools and, I, and there is no one day that goes by without me implementing something that I read and I learned on that book. So again, Never Split the Difference is fantastic book. Thank you very much for sharing that with us. And also thank you very much for joining us for this discussion. Arman, thank you so much for having me. I had a, had a great time discussing these topics. Uh, I think it's very, very important topics. And, and I hope that the audience, you know, gets something useful that helps them to, you know, unlock situations. And, and Arman, if you're okay, uh, I will, I will love to just leave my contact information in case people want to reach out and, you know, learn a little bit more about anything. Feel free to do it reach out. I'm happy to join uh, a call and talk whatever is needed. Yeah, absolutely. I will post it on LinkedIn and Twitter for sure. And I will tag you. So <laughs> take care. All right. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Thank you for listening to SaaS Scaled with Arman Ashragi. For show notes and any resources mentioned in today's episode, go to sasscaled.com. If you're enjoying our show, give us a five-star review and share on LinkedIn. And be sure to subscribe for any updates on future episodes. Thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you by Curve, the modern no-code analytics solution for SaaS companies on AWS. The tools you need to take action with your data on a platform built for maximum scalability, security, and cost efficiencies. If you're ready to reduce complexity and dramatically lower costs, then contact us today at curvey.com. That's Q-R-V-E-Y dot com.